0: There's what you achieve, and then there's being happy. Don't blend those two things together. It's important to achieve if what you're doing is, makes things better. Just your contentment or your joy or your meaning in life can't yeah. just be that.
1: Welcome back, Dean to uh, this, our fourth episode of the Coach's Commonplace book. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Brilliant, Miller. I look forward to these. And what's
0: been cool is I've since run into people as I've been traveling that you and I know, some of them just know you, some of them just know me, with, I'm enjoying those. And that's that's always good to hear, right? I know you and I are having a good time with these, but the fact that someone's listening and it's helping them. That's just
1: icing on the cake. Yeah, I agree. We never know where these words go. I sometimes think of the the Voyager, the satellite. Yes, the story of uh, Carl Sagan and Anne. I forget her name right now. But they decided what was it that humanity would put into this thing in the form of recordings mm-hmm. and photographs mm-hmm. and send out into the universe to see who knows who receives it. You know, if anyone. Right. And uh, we just never know where the things we no. send out into the universe land
0: yeah it's very very true but it was great it was unexpected
1: and uh and it it did it it landed well for me awesome i'm glad to hear it well let's get going let's talk about our information diet what have you been consuming lately dean and what impact is it having on your life (sighs) the big reveal Oh, the earned life. I just bought that on Kindle. It was on a flash sale for $1.99. I know. I was
0: actually, I was with Marshall Goldsmith as he's speaking right in front of me. And I'm getting push notifications and emails from his team. Buy now, buy now, buy now. I was like, what is happening? So got a cool signed copy.
1: Oh, very cool. We'll just with say, my name do, on it. Yep. Let's we'll say thank you for being in 100 Coaches, Marshall Goldsmith.
0: Very cool. So that was very cool. So I wanted to make sure I read this. So I've got to spend a long weekend, Thursday evening through uh, Monday afternoon, with a group of just thought leaders, coaches, executives, um, people with UNICEF, people with world health. Common theme, two things. One, people that are wanting to make the planet better, right, in any way that they can. That's first common theme. Second common theme theme is these are the people that you would want to go have a meal with. They're so interesting and they're so interested in you. So I spent a weekend doing that, but, but Marshall Goldsmith and Mark Ryder, who I've also gotten to know, they both say this is probably their best book. So their fourth New York bestseller and kind of takes all of these things. And I think it's just the old man perspective, brilliant, right? I think Marshall's now 73 or 74. And this idea of just lose regret and choose fulfillment. And, and, and then a Buddhist kind of a philosophy that Marshall tends to follow of just, you know, Marshall does his hands like, let it go, yeah. <laughs> let it go. So the earned life of to remove this, this idea of I'll be happy when right just remove that and i'll just i choose to be happy so that's one that's in there and then second is remove outcomes from how you feel mm-hmm. right there's what you achieve and then there's being happy don't blend those two things together it's important to achieve if what you're doing is makes things better but don't let that be w- what's the right word there? Just your contentment or your joy or your meaning in life can't no. just be that. You probably have more to say on that.
1: No, that's a, it's such a beautiful perspective. And, and what the first part of what you're saying, when Marshall talks about, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy. Yes. If, the yes. first time I heard him say that he described it as the great Western disease.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Right. He said the I same think, thing in this crowd.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot, a lot of truth in that. And then, and then this other part, about divorcing your happiness from the results you produce or don't produce. Right. And I think that kind of works both ways. And what I mean by that is I heard Tony Robbins say, I love the way he phrases this, that there's no necessary relationship between problems and happiness. Mm. Right. And so, and, and then the other thing he said, two other things actually Tony has said about the single most important decision you'll ever make in your life is the decision to be happy no matter what, which you know, there's a lot that we could say about that, but I think it's right. right in line with what Marshall's saying. Right. But then I love what Tony says about if you're only happy when you get what you want, or you're only happy when things go your way, that's not happiness. That's a stimulus response.
0: Yes. And Great so this idea
1: of dis- divorcing or dissociating your happiness from what happens good or bad. Right now being in a room
0: full of smart people, you think this group would be like, that's a good point. I'm going to do that. <laughs> Yeah. Instead, all these hands, but what if, and what about this, and what about that? Yeah. And I don't let it go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's we you, try to
0: make this, we try to overcomplicate
1: it. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And it was Hemingway that said, happiness and in intelligent people is the rarest thing I know. <laughs> right. And then that's such a great about, line. Freud talked about intelligence is of no service to us in resolving our neuroses because mm. we'll just fuel them with that intelligence. Mm-hmm. Right. So, in a way, I think the difference between kind of knowledge and wisdom. So, we can know a lot of things, or we can even have an innate capacity to problem solve, you know, or grasp things at a deep level. We can have a strong intellect, but that's different from being wise.
0: Yes. Yeah. So good. Now, the other part of this weekend, and I want to hear about what your your info is, your info diet's been, is that we got to spend, because we were in Nashville. So, we got to spend time with a lot of songwriters. And Brilliant, I just kept thinking, man, if Brilliant was sitting next to me, he would have so many other amazing questions to ask. I did my best to represent you. <laughs> well, thank but, you. So, so, Pat Agler, I think I'm saying his, his last name right, he's a nine-time Uh, number one hits, has written many, many songs for Garth Brooks. And he's just telling the story behind them. So When the Thunder Rolls is a popular one. Small Town Saturday Night is a popular one. um, Unanswered Prayers is a popular one. And so he was asked, what does it take to write a, quote, great song? Mm -hmm. And there was a little bit of lead in by this question. It has to be the lyrics, right? Because he's a songwriter. Right. And he said, let me tell you this. No one whistles the lyrics. Mm. I was like, ah, that's so good. Now the lyrics matter, but for a great song, got to have that hook. You got to have that melody or that chorus, but no one whistles the lyrics. I haven't found the right way to apply that to our lives. You know, that, you know, maybe I could just say the right things, Mm -hmm. um, but it's what I do that people would whistle. Like, I don't know how to correlate that back to a life principle, but I'll never forget the statement. No one whistles the lyrics.
1: That's, that's fun. That's, that's beautiful. You know, that kind of reminds me of the saying that um, when you're happy, you feel the rhythm, but when you're sad, you hear the lyrics. Ooh,
0: man, see how you come up with it so
1: good. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, so what about you? What are you taking in? So I have been, I actually think I said these last time we talked, Dean, but I'm still digging on on a few things. One is Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. And to be honest, I'm actually not reading the book as much as doing what she, Mm. what she prescribes in the book, namely morning pages, three pages of longhand free writing every day. And, um, I've done it for, I don't know, maybe 60 days. And it's, it's been an interesting exercise to, I think kind of, it's almost like a release valve for thought or energy or maybe unacknowledged desire just, you know, and I don't even go back and read it. I don't share it with anybody, but I'll often just start with a stream of consciousness, kind of free association writing. Sometimes I will share an experience or try to capture a scene, you know, for for whatever reason, or ask myself a question and then just Mm -hmm. riff. And, you know, you've probably had this experience. I think we all have where we're in conversation with someone, whether it's a friend or a therapist or, you know, maybe our spouse or partner or whatever. And we say something and then we think, oh my gosh, I didn't know I really believed that or I didn't know I felt that way. Right, right. You know? And I've even right. had the experience, the equivalent kind of in writing where sometimes I do go back and read it and I'll think, I don't remember writing that or I wasn't consciously aware. It's interesting to me how we do have these two parts of ourselves, at least two parts, right? The conscious and the unconscious and yes, the iceberg metaphor, as cliche as it is, seems yeah. to me. Be- very relevant. So that's what you're doing. You're doing this first thing in the morning. You said, no, it's called morning pages. I think because maybe that's when, you know, many people do it or they're encouraged to do. I just, I endeavor to do it before I go to sleep sometime. Uh, It takes me, I do it. I used to do it on an eight and a half by 11 legal pad. It was a lot of writing. It took me about a half hour. I've I've since bought a moleskin, the smaller, the eight and a half inch by five inch. You're going to you're going to start writing on something like this yeah, now to true. get those pages in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're like personal best. Yeah, that's right. And it takes me about 20 minutes now, but an attempt to connect with that, what I hope, you know, that intelligence or that unconscious. Right. Um, so that's one thing, the artist's way. But can I ask you one more question? I mean, because <laughs> 60 days, I mean, that's enough of a test.
0: If you were to go the, six, the next 60 and not do that, what do you think would be
1: noticeably missing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think part of it might be I think we're all this way to differing degrees of, you know, we we crave structure and we simultaneously resist it. Yes. So I think part of what might be missing is the sense of, you know, as I go throughout each day, as I go through the 1440 minutes that make up a day, I'm looking as we all are for, you know, how to spend my time. And just sometimes that 20 minutes of time with myself. I think right. the sense of, you know, maybe connection and then maybe also having something that anchors or structures my day. I think that that could be missing and honestly, after having done it in a couple months. I think I might, I might welcome a 60 day break as well. So.
0: <laughs> well, I want to tie that back into my article because um, I think you just gave me an idea. So I'll pause there. and We'll
1: come back to yeah. it right on. And, and then the other thing that I've been reading, I just actually finished this afternoon a book by a therapist and, and a teacher named Ralph De La Rosa. And I actually, I'm, I'm going to interview him Friday. I'm very mm. grateful that he's accepted to be on my podcast. But he's written a couple books. His most recent is called Don't Tell Me to Relax Emotional Resilience in the Age of Rage, Feels, and Freakouts. And then his other book is called The Monkey is the Messenger Meditation and What Your Busy Mind is Trying to Tell You and his books um they're written you know every book is written from a place right like an yes. emotion or life experience and i find ralph's is particularly interesting uh because he was an addict he was he's got um hispanic blood in him he's been tra- gender fluid mm. you know and he's meditation and mindfulness he'll say have literally saved his life and now he's made a conscious effort to give back to life he's worked with people in the foster system people in poverty extreme poverty and um so anyway i'm i'm appreciating some of the perspectives and a lot of the lessons that ralph is sharing just in in these books and i'm really looking forward to talking to him
0: i can see how just
1: even his use of language and word would resonate with you yeah in in this last in the the book i just finished don't tell me to relax the last part of the book part of the last part of the book, he's talking about privilege, right? That that's something that, um, you know, I'm, I'm still working with myself and there's so many ways being able-bodied, being white, being male, having wealth, you know, it's, it's a thing that that for a long time I felt guilty about in many ways, especially comparing against how many who struggle with so much and how easy my life is and the question of responsibility and and things like that. And, the fact that Ralph, even he's aware enough to know that that's something that readers are dealing with, I thought was, was pretty insightful. And, and it's given me a lot to think about. Yeah.
0: I know that it is because if you're watching this right now, pause, go back until when Brilliant was reading the title and really pay attention to all those micro features on Brilliant's face because dude, it resonates. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not it resonates, but but, I mean, but that title, that book, it is landed with you. And I could see it as soon as you, as soon as you read it. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating.
1: Love that. Yep. Absolutely. So with that, um, Dean, I know you were just telling me a little bit about your time in Nashville and with the songwriters and with the MG 100, but I think you were telling me in one of our conversations between these recordings that this was the first time you've been to the, I think Marshall calls it everything I know kind Everything of, kind I of know. Session. And, and for exactly. those who don't know that Marshall Goldsmith is in the middle of something, he's created a project for himself. He calls the knowledge philanthropy project where he's giving away as best he can, his life's experience, his knowledge, his wisdom to us and many others in the form of his books and his talks and some of these workshops that he hosts. But Dean, you went and you spent time with him and, and others in the community. What else did you take away? What else are you learning from, from Marshall, both things coming out of his mouth and from the the life that he's living?
0: Yeah. It's, it's under this, this umbrella or this environment of no guilt, no obligation, no money. That's his expectations. When, when, as you've been invited into this MG 100, no guilt, no obligation, no money. And you think about any other group that you've joined, it's probably the complete opposite of those three. And his expectation is that when you get into your mid seventies, that you will be standing up in front of the room of a group that you have attracted and you're doing the same thing. It's, it's giving it away. It's, I mean, so much of what Marshall was saying is if you're doing good things, is the planet better if more people had access to this good thing you were doing? If it's yes, then tell this group about it, and we're going to use all the leverage and all the network we have. Let's go make an impact, not a dent. Let's go significantly change things. His, he, he also lands this, and this is 30, 40 years of, of hard introspection, making a lot of mistakes, getting it right often. But he talks about these three things are necessary. One, you have to have humility. Second, you have to have courage. And third, you have to have discipline. So just those three things alone, you could spend a lifetime getting deep in and trying to, I'm going to use air quotes here, master. (laughs) My conversation with Marshall is I wish there were rollover effort, rollover minutes of these things, because I could really nail it today on August 3rd but then I go to bed. <laughs> no. now, there's some life momentum. It's a reputation momentum, some integrity momentum, but I have to start all over again. Right. And then bring my best effort. So th- I, I really enjoyed when Marshall talks about that. Um, life's not fair. He get talks over It talks about get <laughs> over it. And right. Peter Drucker's statement is Peter Drucker would, would give account to a, a board is that the person who has the power gets to make the decisions. And it's your job to make peace with that. Yeah. Right. Now, if you, know, if you can't,
1: right, move on. Yeah, that's a tough, tough lesson. I've heard Marshall talk about that and some of the stories he shared, how that's particularly hard for people in positions of leadership, including CEOs who have a board or who have a shareholder who ultimately is in the position of being able to make a decision. Mm. And that that kind of double bind of the leader having been installed or hired or whatever, to make decisions and to leave yet there's someone else who ultimately has the ability to make a decision and how yes. hard that can be, but why that's So wise is that we, if we find ourselves in that situation, that we make peace with that. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, is we're not talking about illegal, we're not talking about immoral, we're not talking about unethical. It's just a difference of opinion. Yeah. And so, I mean, the stakes can be high. Opinions can vary. Emotions can be heightened. Um, let's make peace with it. Right. Next. He also talks about, ask for help. Mm. He's been around some of the most successful people on our planet in his lifetime. And what they do well is that they ask for help. They also say, it starts with me. They also say, let's do it together. So really, really interesting. These are known recipes And then I could probably go on and on here, brilliant. So another
1: thing that comes to my mind. Yeah, go ahead. Real quick to just jump in there. I I think that is an example, right? Of when he says humility Mm. of asking for help. Right. Right. Many people that for whatever reason, their pride or they they don't want to look bad or admit weakness or something. Yes. There it is. In yeah, he
0: often Yeah, he often cites Alamalale, who was a CEO at Boeing who then went to Ford, and he knows nothing about the automotive industry, right? He was the first, I think, non-Ford to be in that position, non-family member. And I think one of his first acts was to bring in every single dealer. And many of these were multi-generational family dealerships. And he just started off with, we're really in trouble. Like, we're really in trouble. And I need your help. Now, I'm confident if we do this together, we can do this but I need your help. It sounds so obvious, right? When we hear the story, mm-hmm. but it seems like the majority of the time, what actually does happen is that that leader gets there and says, I've got it all figured out. Just do what I tell you to do.
1: Yeah. And well, I we
0: think that that's what we admire, but it's not. And,
1: and part of the challenge, I think with this too, especially when we're talking about leadership is that there are many things that are, situation specific. There's the particular industry, the particular business, the other executives in the business and who we are and our style and things like this. So there's you know, something, there's, there's principles that I think we're wise to, to remember and apply. And at the same time, there's our own style and our own inner voice. So I think that can be one of the challenges, but Dean, as you as you're around a lot of these smart and experienced and capable people, and you're one yourself, how do you see that striking that balance between kind of using someone else's playbook, so to speak, or learning from the experience of others and then honoring your own inner light.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I'm gonna go back to another thing that Marshall has, has introduced to us, to you and I, is the, are these daily questions? Mm-hmm. And the daily questions help me, I'm gonna call it a knife's edge between doing someone else's playbook and then living my own meaningful life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because it ultimately comes down to is, did I do my best to do X? Did I do my best to find meaning today? Did I do my best to choose happiness today? Did I do my best to, to, uh, to build a positive relationship? Right. And these questions can go on and on and on, but it ultimately comes down to me. Yeah, It could be someone else's playbook, but that's not good enough for it to have happened and that playbook won't be, make me happy. Yeah. But it's every day, daily questions, daily questions. Did I do my best today? I've been doing it every single day. I've, I found the photo, I showed Marshall this. It was uh, June 13th, uh, 2015. I've been doing it nearly, I'm, I mean, of course I'm average, I'm normal. I've missed some days, but the intent, I've done it nearly every day since then. And I hate it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so let me ask you this. Yeah. How yeah. do you think your life is different? This may be a leading question. How do you think your life is better? Because you've been doing this daily questions discipline for seven years. Yeah. I mean,
0: without question, I know that it is. I, you could ask my wife, you could ask my children. You could ask my parents. You could ask my business partner. You could ask my clients. There's just no doubt that it is. I mean, you can graph the trajectory of what I was doing, and that was very much a seize, get degrees, um, just do enough to get it done. Now, I'm not saying I'm, I'm I am still like that in the right areas, but picking those things that they're on my list. These are the things that I know that are important to me. Mm-hmm. And I choose to do my best every day on those. So the fact that I got down to working a week a month, right? That was the result of, of doing, of doing my daily questions every single day, being able to go full-time in an RV for two and a half years, being able to go to, and live in Mexico for a year and a half. Um, yeah, just on, 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 I mean, my health, my overall health, my cholesterol level, my weight, all those things are better because
1: I'm doing these questions every day. That's awesome. Well, good for you. There's power. Yeah, thank you. There's power in that in questions. I think even though, you know, we're coaches and I know many people listening to this are coaches. I think we even still sometimes forget the incredible power or at least mm-hmm. the potential power of questions.
0: Yes. Especially when you create, it. Was, it's my list. Yeah. It's not someone else. It's not my wife's list. It's not my business partner's list. It's not a client's list. I put it on there. And to ask, to have to look in the mirror, did I do my best? And if not, why not? It's brutal. I was reminded of this quote, Theodore Roosevelt. If you could kick the person in the pants responsible for, the, for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit down for a month. <laughs> That's funny. That's So crazy. true, right? Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Right on.
1: Well, shall we transition to the wisdom of the pages? Yes, indeed. Okay. I'm looking forward to hearing what magazine you picked and what your article was and sharing with you mine. So this month I do have a physical magazine. I bought nice Esquire that has damn good advice for fathers. It's like, Ooh. I can use that. I'm interested in good advice. What the editors at Esquire... I'm not right. sure they're the paragon of parenting, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So I <laughs> sketched out my own ideas. I'd love to hear a few of your thoughts before we yeah, even open and see what the wisdom of the pages c- contains. Um, what did you pick before we jump into mine? What 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 have you got? Boy, just the
0: oddest, the oddest. I didn't know it even existed. A magazine called International Students. Okay.
1: Never heard yeah. of it. Don't Me subscribe. Yeah.
0: No, me either. And it's six ways to spend a mental health day. Hmm. Right on. So I was intrigued by
1: this. International students, six ways to spend a mental health day. Well, that's fun. I, yeah. Know, for some reason, I'm just going to throw this out there before we even jump in. Water comes to mind for me, something about water. Mm. So I'll be interested to see what that says and what you said and what yeah. those what the editors say. <laughs> so let's start with parenting. Okay. Um, Okay. I had three things. I narrowed mine down to three things. Might be four actually. So the first thing that I said, if I'm looking for advice for fathers is to be present. Yes. Physically, but also of course, um, intentionally or emotionally being present. I, I actually had dinner with a friend over the weekend and he shared with me a story about his mom passing unexpectedly two years ago. And he's a busy driven entrepreneur, successful in our uh, market here in Salt Lake in real estate. And he said that now when he goes to his kids games, he said he used to be on the phone making deals and getting updates from his office Mm. and so forth. And he said, now he goes and he leaves his phone in the car and he's completely present and losing his mom. It took losing his mom for that to happen for him, but he has made that shift and now it doesn't require willpower. So good. So that's one for me. The next one that I say, and I realize this one varies probably by age, depends on how young your kids are, how old they are. But I've said to to have structure and routine in the home, and for us, that looks like dinner at six, bedtime during the school year for the younger kids has been eight p.m. and so forth. And I think for this, I think this is part of the Montessori method. Now I wasn't educated in that, and I actually haven't put our kids in it, but I did read the biography of Maria Montessori. <laughs> Years yeah. ago, I've, I'm very, very, very familiar. It's so amazing just having the place for everything, and I right. think there's something mentally when the physical space and and the emotional space of a home is organized and routine and logical, that that allows for people to flourish mm. in ways that don't exist. If, like for example, punishments, if you get in trouble one day because of your parents' mood, versus having broken one of the household rules, the established rules, right? But that routine, that structure in whatever form that makes sense for you, I think kids need that for their growth and flourishing. Totally agree. Yeah. So
0: we, we homeschooled and by we, I mean, my wife, <laughs> corporate girl did not want to have children. Surprise, surprise. We ended up having four children. After the first two, my wife says, I'm going to stay home and homeschool the kids. I'm like, you're drunk. <laughs> wow. And what have you done with my wife? And she's like, Dean, know, I can, she's like, I can figure this out. I can do this. And so there we had some circumstances where that was a, a better choice than where we were in the environment we were in. And so Montessori, Melanie kind of found early and we were a normal young family and a, some level of standardized chaos. I'm being kind. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't standardized at all, but just chaos. And then the Montessori kind of brought this idea of there's a place yep. and that started us on something that was more sustainable, and there's no doubt that some of that has continued on, and how we form our home. Right on,
1: yeah. And then the the last thing that I've said. So if I said three, being present, physically, emotionally, you know, available, attentionally, so forth. Two is routine, predictability, structure, that kind of thing. And then the third thing that I said is to take care of yourself, and in Ooh, particular, your sleep because emotional regulation right i think of this a lot um, my dad used to quote Vince Lombardi this yes. saying fatigue makes fatigue makes cowards of us all right everything is harder when we're tired and it's harder to be present when we're tired it's harder to not get upset right we get upset more easily when we're tired and things like this and so this one lever of sleep being a thing that can allow us to emotionally regulate ourselves more easily is a thing that I would, I would just suggest, um, you know, both to show up as a more effective, loving patient kind, kind of parent, but also yes. all the other benefits that it can have.
0: Such a good one. Brilliant. I, I wrote my list arm real quick. I didn't put that one on there. That is a great one. And you think about just younger parents, it's that sleep is so elusive. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Right. But
0: it but it is necessary. I mean, even to get a nap in. And yeah. if you're not getting the sleep, to be mindful of oh, I am tired. I need some extra caution or margin here. Cause I could come off hotter than necessary.
1: Yeah. Well, then what that points to, too, and I realize it's easy for me to sit here and, and say these things. And I do have kids. I have six kids. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've met them. They're awesome. <laughs> so one thing, too, that, that I realized when I said advice for fathers, it didn't even come up until you mentioned that is about the importance of being on the same page with your co-parent, with that yes. other parent, including time alone, like with that person. And obviously, that's not always easy, but whether that's the grandparents or a babysitter or a trusted relative or something like that. To have that in something, this is maybe a bit controversial, but I think there's a decision that is to be made and whether we make it consciously or not, which is to, whether you prioritize your partner or your spouse or the kids. Right. And I would never, I'd never even occurred to me until my wife introduced that concept to me. And she talked about prioritizing the marriage, like the relationship of the parents. Yeah. There's good research behind this. Now, I mean, not
0: that anything I can quote, but I've, I've read it. I was introduced to it. We have four children and I like to experiment on them so far. No, no, no major counseling because of this, but I would, I would walk in the door. It would make a big deal. Cause I mean, who greets you at the door? Usually the dog. If you have one of those, they're usually there first kids are second. And then that spouse is, you know, knee deep in something. I would make a big deal of getting past them. Where's that woman? right? Where, where's my wife? Where's my girlfriend? And they're screaming, no, say hi to me. So hi to me. Cause I wanted them to know she's first. And so it became a big game, right? And the, you know, the, when, when kids grab onto the leg and they kind of ride your shoe, right. Would do that in those early years. I didn't know to do that. We just had a good mentor in our life early and it made a big difference. And they tie that back to bedwetting and temper tantrums and everything else is when the kids know that that, this, that the mom and dad or the parents are well, the house is well. Yeah. If they feel like the parents are not well, if we can't talk it out, we start to act it up.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think that's true. And again, I know that's not universally uh, accepted and somewhat perhaps controversial and maybe I'm. Just thinking here in Utah, which I won't go too deep into this, but yeah, many <laughs> culture right. encourages prioritization of the kids. And I think right. that seems like that's the thing that's going to promote mm-hmm. well-being, but it ignores that container that you're talking about. You're not using that word, but that the the relationship is that the family exists within or right. can. Right. I realize this is also very heteronormative. Yeah. 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 So So, anyway. Okay. Dean, that's the, that was what I thought. Anything else from you about being a damn good dad before we look at. Yeah. Yeah. The first, the
0: first one that comes to my mind and I, I'm getting ready to uh, I've got a book maybe on this idea. I think a lot about this, a very good friend of mine, Dr. Ben Maxwell is a pediatric adolescent psychiatrist in San Diego. And he and I have been talking, you go back 10, 15 years ago and just how mental illness, mental health kind of came into some unprecedented numbers. Those millennials are now parents Mm -hmm. and their children are doing worse than they are. Six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds coming in unbelievable ground. I mean, not groundbreaking. What's right there? Just devastating metrics of attempted suicide. Yeah. Six, seven, eight, nine years old. So this idea of the role of the parents and the role of fathers, what you and I are both, is first is have a plan. Have a plan. So design the family that you love. So whether you're a single parent or you're co-parenting or whatever your, your situation is, have a plan. When we've been asking parents, do you have a plan? It's an obvious, because I mean, most of us, we don't. Much less having a plan for each child, but have a plan. Second, be consistent. Mm. If you're, I mean, how hard is it for us adults to read our own boss? Are they in a good mood or a bad mood? Right. And we fail at that. Don't make your kids do that of choosing, trying to figure out if you're in a good mood or not a good mood. Now be normal, but try to be consistent. Third, I got four. So third is laugh, laugh especially when things are not going well. So I was at the Nashville airport and they've got the big signs that once you pass this, you're going like the baggage claim. Once you pass this point, it's the point of no return. Well, I think this young girl, she's like probably 11, 12 years old. I think she's going to the restroom, and she walked past that point. So she couldn't get back. So now mom's at the Chick-fil-A counter getting the meal. Dad's sitting with like the four-year-old brother Gets the the t- the phone call from her. Or they can see each other through the glass, and he loses it. No, oh, no. Now, what could he have? He could have just gone past there and said, "Hilarious, right? Nice work. All the signage, all the stop, don't go. It's all good, right?" Could have. Instead, humiliated, embarrassed, cursed her out. Ah, I'm like, dude. I got a 25-year-old daughter. I'm not because I've done things like that way back when. If I could have done that different, laugh, 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 laugh. And then last one is to tell your kids from the, from the father's perspective of, hey, you know what? You're good at this. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable the impact. And the more detailed as possible. So my youngest son, who's 18 now, he was the youngest. So he kind of got the crappiest of the chores, right? Because he was the last one. So Reed would go take out the trash. But I would notice he would pay attention to the details. So instead of saying, Hey, you're good at taking out the trash. That's not what you don't want to be complimented on that. I would say, Reed, you know what you're good at? You pay attention to details. Hmm. And he was, right? Can't just make this stuff up. He was. Yeah. But him getting that recognition and encouragement from dad, he went to a whole time period of he was just a detailed dude. Wow. Well. Right on. Yeah. I love those. Love the topic. Well, as, you can t- like, as you can tell.
1: And what you're sharing too, I just came across a quotation today that uh, is right in line with this. It says people become what they expect themselves to become. Mm. That was Gandhi. And in, in that idea of, if you're positively reinforcing and it's, you, you're not making it up, but you're just noticing, right. It, right? And yes, you help your kids, right. Believe that they're something, and then they'll more likely to become that thing. Cool. Okay, so I'll be honest. I read these pages, and yes. I think this was another one of these that was kind of a bait and switch mm. because this was not this was not a simple list of <laughs> here's great advice for parents. But in about the twelve pages that were here, there were a few things that I I want to call out. Here, there's a little piece by uh, a writer named Jeff Gordoner that comes under the heading: "Is it okay not to like my kids sometimes?" And, uh, he says, I have four children ranging in age from 19 to four. Here's something I have learned about parenting. No matter how open-minded you think you are, your kids will throw you curveballs that undermine your fixed ideas about the world. And then he goes on to talk about how sometimes he's bewildered by them. And it's, you know, basically it's, it's okay to have feelings, you know, you don't need to express them or even act them out, but you're not going to like every moment of every day being a parent that's par for the course, you know, that's to be expected, right? And the more, I think, mature or wise (laughs) among us can, uh, you know, use that as an opportunity for learning or growth or being more compassionate. I mean, I like that
0: because life is real. And especially as the kids get older, um, they form opinions. I mean, based on their life experience, I'll give you an example, the Hindenburg, right? I'm sure most of us seen that footage of it exploding. And we hear that voiceover, oh, the humanity. You've seen this. You've seen Mm -hmm. it, right? Brilliant. I can watch that. Yeah. The black and white film. Yep. And then go right and straight and go watch a happy movie or go, you know, get some chicken nuggets. I mean, I can watch that and go write something else. Mm -hmm. So 9-11, we were taking a tour of of the museum there in, in New York City. And I'm coming undone just absolutely undone walking through this place like just an uncontrollable sobbing mess but my, for my kids that was the hint they weren't either two of them were not old enough to remember and then two of them weren't even born yet
1: mm-hmm.
0: now i could get really upset about that and they have a different opinion i know how, what we did as a country after 9-11 it was my experience seeing our country come together like i'd never experienced before now it clearly hasn't lasted But I saw us come together. Our kids, my kids have never seen the U S come together. So when Reagan says the worst words you could ever hear is I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah. My kids experience is the best words you can hear is I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah. And we're both right. Yeah. Based on what historically has happened in our lifetime.
1: Yeah. In our own lived experience.
0: Yes. And so I've had to grow
1: in this
0: with, we're all on this journey Yep, and we love each other.
1: Yeah. Right? Or we can <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, then here was a, a piece uh, that is um, a guy named Ronaldo Pina. He's a football coach at Northwest high in Clarksville, Tennessee. He served for 13 years in the army rising to staff sergeant and deploying twice to Iraq. And it was, can I connect with my kids when duty calls? So maybe for parents that are separated by distance or the nature of their job and a big part of this, it just begins with making sure they understand why you had to go away. Yeah. You know, and obviously that's going to come at a certain age and so forth, but right. Um, that, that was one, one little tidbit that I took away from this. And then the last thing that was in here is, um, it was a question. It was toward the end. It was uh, the, the heading on this. It's by a writer named Mark O'Connell is, is it even moral to have a kid in today's unhinged world?
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So exploring that. And then it quotes the, the magazine here quotes that one in four people without kids say that climate change is a reason they don't have them. And then uh, Mark, I guess, has written a book called notes from an apocalypse, which I'll definitely a look at. But I thought that was, uh, I thought that was a, a, an interesting question. Is it even moral to have kids in today's unhinged world? And I think we all have our opinion about that, but what do you say, Dean?
0: Well, gosh, it takes me all over the place. I mean, oh, I just did the 23 and me. Oh yeah. <clears throat> did, did you find anything surprising come up? Um, I got 1% Jewish. Hmm. So Shabbat Shalom. Um, I got a lot of German-Irish, like 89%. Didn't wow. know I had that much Irish there. Some Scandinavian, some Congolese. But when you, ta- when you trace this back, especially on the, on the Jewish side, that particular, I can't even make up the language, but that particular segment of my DNA structure goes back to four women. Wow. I could only imagine how crappy that existence was, I'm glad they chose to have a child. Yeah. I mean, I think historically along the way, it's life is hard and it's unfair. And that's just trivializing and undermining how real those words are. But I'm so thankful that, that people are still loving each other and procreating. Yeah. And hoping we're, we're getting it right more than we're getting it wrong but i don't i mean if you're not if you're not sending your kids out there and you're thinking good thoughts like that then we're we're procreating maybe the wrong gene structures
1: well, yeah <laughs> i don't know i
0: get lost in that
1: no that's another yeah there's a there's another potentially charged question right and one that each of us gets to answer for our own if we're even able to i know you know you right. probably have friends like i do that aren't able to have kids and meanwhile there's people that I wish wouldn't have kids that have plenty. No, I'm kidding. But. <laughs> no,
0: I hear you. Like Melanie wasn't supposed to, to have children. Um, severe endometriosis had a lapar- laparoscopy procedure done. And they said, nope, we're not have kids. And we were like, we're kind of devastated by that. And like about 10 months later, we we're pregnant with Zach. I mean, we were shocked. And then end up with four unplanned. Ever see. That's why I had to go see a doctor immediately. I'm like, we do not
1: know what we're doing. Well, We cannot well, be trusted. I don't think anybody knows what they're doing when they begin parenting, <laughs> yeah. but you know, no. my, my answer, to, my take on this question is I remember reading once a book about, it, it was a book that had an essay about overpopulation and, yeah. you know, about the consequences and the timetable and, you know, this kind of thing. And and it was one of these kinds of books that presents the pros and cons and so forth, the different, the different uh, information and attitudes that exist out there from social research and so forth. And, and one of the takes, and I forget the name of it now, somebody listening probably knows this, but there was a theory that is expounded that says for any problem that exists within a population, the solution to that problem will be found by someone from within it. And it's for that reason that even though overpopulation clearly has a toll on our planet itself and on our society, that ultimately the odds of us finding it increase by every one of us that arrives. It's like, so the argument in that essay was that it's a moral imperative to continue having children, which, you know, I know that's just one view. I don't know that that's true, but I do think about something Buckminster Fuller talked about, which is emergence by emergency. Yes, The history of humanity seems to only be we find the solution to our problem when it becomes essential to our survival to do so. Right. And so to me, it's kind of like if we choose not to have kids or we choose to have kids somehow, when we're faced with this existential threat, we right. will solve it. So that brings us maybe back to where we started, which is nowhere <laughs> about yeah. its individual choice. Yeah, it is. And there's always a lawn taking us to Mars. Yeah, I'm not going with that guy though. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, yeah. A different topic for a different day. Yes. Okay. Switching gears. Let's talk about the wisdom of your pages. International students, six
0: ways to spend a mental health day. Now, My, my mind went first to, was that, was that even mean?
1: Yeah. Right. A mental health day. I kind of, I kind of don't like that idea already. <laughs> like I'm, I'm kind of like, and I, I, I go both ways on this too. Cause there's a part of me that goes, look, if you need a vacation, maybe you ought to organize your life in a way that doesn't require vacations. I know that's, again, that's easy right. for, me, for someone like me to say, right. But in this mental health day, I, th- I mean, I just remember hearing, there was a friend of mine who had um, an employee who had a breakup with a girlfriend or her boyfriend and said she needed two weeks. I need two weeks to get, and it's like, really. So the whole thing is, do you need a mental health day or do you need to organize your life in a way that you don't need a mental health day? But anyway, that's no, well, it's so since getting
0: this article, because I've had it for a week now, I've been asking people this question and brilliant. It's a charged question. So from you, I don't even like it already, right? (laughs) To other groups, I say groups, I'm making this sound too large. Other individuals are saying it's about time. Mm. And I was like, ooh, say more, like where are you coming from? So I'm trying to find, is there, can I, can I guess how you're gonna answer based on your age, based on your geography, based on your financial well-being? Like, can I, are there any predictors of how we respond to this question? of a well, of a wellness day. Oh, for sure. There will be. Right. Well, yeah. So I'm already finding it, but as soon as I find it, someone else shows up differently than I wasn't expecting. And it just, it kind of depends on how much they've thought about this. It also depends on where you have been, especially within a within professional mindset of in the organization, whether you were the owner or the employee, sure. if you were in leadership or if you were an hourly and sure. I can almost predict those, because we go to where it's been abused as yeah. opposed to where it's been a wise application. So wow. I went into this, you know, there's, there's mental illness and there's mental health. And sometimes wow. we're using that synonymously.
1: Yep. And they're very, I think they are very different.
0: They are for sure different. So then I started thinking where in, particularly in the United States, when did this first get talked about? And it was eighteen. Please hold. Eighteen forty-three, after the Civil War, by William Schweitzer, Sweetzer The Civil War wasn't until the eighteen sixties. You're right. I, I read that incorrectly. <laughs> so it was first used by William Sweetzer in eighteen forty-three, and then after the Civil War, which okay. increased the concern about the effects of unsanitary conditions. And he called it mental hygiene. Mm, I actually like that term. I think that's what I've, I've seen other articles since. I think that's where it's going to come to. I really do because we need to, we need to do over when it comes to this, that mental illness and mental health is not the same because when we talk about financial health, I'm sure you've over your lifetime, probably even when you were super young, started having conversations around your table about mental healthness. I'm not mental, financial wellness, financial health. Do you talk about financial illness? No. No, probably not as much. But I think we're just intellectual, environmental, um, occupational, physical health. I mean, we're all about it. We're all about it. I mean, people will take a day off because they're, they're, they're doing some things for their physical health. They're going to they're gonna go in a marathon or they're going to go do these things. I'm, I'm taking the day off. I'm going to go for a hike for my physical health. And we don't say it that way. Yeah, so mental health. So, yeah, so the title. Again, let me go back to the title, and then I'm going to rephrase it.
1: Six, Six ways. ways
0: to to, ment, to spend a mental health
1: day. I, then my mind went to, go ahead. I'm just going to jump in and say, if there's not relationship-based things, friends, loved ones, maybe animals, yes. then then, I, then I'm already calling this article bunk. <laughs> That's why. <the> one. <laughs> And, and another, and this one, I don't feel as strongly about if it's on the list, but for some reason it comes up for me, I'm going back to water. Is there something around swimming the ocean? If it's available, even taking a bath, going to a sauna, something like that. So I'm curious what was on your list and what's. Yeah. So on on my
0: list, my mind went to there's mental, you could do a mental health weekend. Yeah. You could do a mental health morning. You could do a mental health moment. It doesn't necessarily have to be a day oh, in the middle of your work day where no. you're now transferring additional responsibilities or burden on the rest of your team or your organization or the company that you work for.
1: Sure. All right. And so I'm going to interject one last thing, which is nature, yeah. greenery, even if yes. it's work in a city. <laughs> if it's a I mountain. love how this topic has you so leaning forward. Because I mean, these things are not, they're simple, not easy. I think Yeah. But they are effective and research shows this. Like good living, it's not complicated. But I'm eager. Okay, right. I'll quit interrupting. Keep, keep no. Going.
0: See, all right. So let's pause. Not producer. Not pause you. You picked a topic that's at my core, parenting and being a father. Yeah. <laughs> and I picked a topic that is yeah. at your core. This idea of good living and not just a mental health day, but a, a mental health life. Yeah. Right. So right. I like what you. So my first one was um, do nothing. Right. Just like, like in the sick day, just get in the couch, pull up the Afghan, put on a dumb movie, just turn the brain off, just chill. Yeah. That's one that came to mind. One is no electronics. If you're going to do this for a day, um, turn, just turn, turn them all off for 24 hours. Have a specific goal. Otherwise, I think you should kind of just wander through this day and not fully maximize it. Um, I put nature, get into nature. I think my wife's going to go get her master's and I'm going to butcher this uh, brilliant, but I told her that you're going to be excited about it. It's something about authors being an author based in nature. Mm -hmm. And there's a master's degree in this. Wow. Cool. Yeah. So that's interesting. So that, so that, and then, um, find meaning, right. To spend the day, just being reflective and searching for meaning could be um, a good mental health day. So that's what was on my list. What comes to your mind?
1: Right on. Well, those three connection, friends, family, loved ones, you know, pets, especially maybe the connections that we've, the word I would use is kind of let deteriorate or let languish. Mm. You know, and part of this maybe comes from watching my dad and his last days call people that he loved that he didn't necessarily associate with regularly. And just how tender those calls were of, Mm. hey, I'm on my way out, you know, and they'd have those fond moments of reminiscing and not leaving that until the very end. So that's one. And this, the research that shows just how important relationships are to our overall happiness and well-being you know, there's that one study, I think it's an 80 year study out of Harvard that shows it's like the oh, yeah, biggest yeah. predictor, right? you know, and, and it increases longevity, not just the quality of life, but actually the length of our lives and so forth. So that's where immediately relationships comes up. And, th- and then similarly, the thing about nature, regardless of what our spiritual or religious views are, that research shows that. Being in nature, especially if we can become immersed by it, be in a mountain, be in, you know, um, just a beautiful place, especially if it's far from development, this kind of thing that we'll have these, or we have the possibility then of having these kind of transcendent experiences that help us remember how small we are and how big existence is and that we're a part of it and, you know, this kind of thing. So that's why that one comes up. And then for me personally, even though I don't get in the water a lot, to be honest, um, when I do, I am. I love it and it can feel so, um, just rejuvenating.
0: Yeah. Now I'm with you on that. You made me think about when's the last time you have gazed at the stars
1: that I did. I did earlier this summer. I'm a a little bit ashamed to say it was weeks ago, but, um, I was somewhere that there wasn't a lot of light pollution and it was easy to see and that, but then through a screen, I've been fascinated by this new James Webb telescope.
0: Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So Melly and I, so when we were doing the two and a half years in the RV, we got we went to what's considered one of the top five, um, and it's over in Bar Harbor, over in Maine. I'm drawing a blank on the national park that that this that this is, but you can see the Milky Way Mm -hmm. just with the natural eye, and so to lay on the grass especially with someone that you love, to lay on the grass and just stare out, you're you're just so insignificant. (laughs) That's one. And then second, I'm just in awe of those previous generations Mm -hmm. that were so amazingly aware of, they did this so frequently, they saw the most subtle changes and were able to discover so much about our solar system yeah, just through those visual observations, it also makes me feel insignificant and shallow. Yeah, so in so their list, first they kind of go into it's a day off to prioritize your mental health and well being. So think of it as a necessity, not a reward. Hmm. Okay, I like that. I mean, you don't go work out because you've earned the right to go work out. <laughs> right. It's a necessity. And so to think about our mental hygiene, right? You don't brush your teeth because you've earned the right to do that. This reward, ooh, you know, you were a good boy today. You get to brush your teeth. Um, And they kind of talk about, you know, is it okay to do this? And it's absolutely, now you do need to be aware of, you know, this could um, cause some, some distress within your coworkers. So the first one is just decide what you need out of your mental health day. I like that.
1: Yeah. It's pretty, it's like living the examined life. You're asking right there. What do I yes. what do I want or need from this day? That makes perfect sense. I, I think that's, I think that's solid. The second one is just simply have a day off.
0: Yep. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to catch up on chores as laundry, whatever else. Sometimes this the best thing you can do is just rest. I like that. Uh, number three is choose a hobby. Do you have a hobby? I mean, you go for walks, I love to read. Yeah. That's a what? good hobby. I like to play games. Yeah. They're exactly right. Yeah. So you have that number four, spend time with your loved ones. And I, I've been at your house at six o'clock in the evening. And, and as you said, you don't always know who else is going to be there. Yeah. Right. Cause your kids kind of invite their other friends and, but it's a place to belong, right? It's a place yeah. just to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so connect nice. and connect. Um, number 5 do an activity that brings you peace. I like that. I also think about you guys and your puzzles. Yep. I did ask what your kids if anyone hides the last piece so they can be <laughs> the one and they looked at me just mortified like why would someone do that? What kind of monster <laughs> do you think I am? Yeah. So I may have introduced some madness into, into your house. And then 6 To reevaluate your goals and priorities. So just reflecting on your life can help you ask more meaningful questions. And unfortunately, there's no, there's no, nothing about water. Mm. I apologize.
1: I'll I'll, 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 I'll write them. (laughs) (laughs) I am a little surprised going through the list that there's not anything explicitly about physical activity. But, you know, maybe that comes up for some when they go through what do they want or need out of this day.
0: What I was interested about, this doesn't make sense to me, is that this is a magazine for international students.
1: Yeah, that's interesting.
0: I thought there'd be something about, you know, connecting back home or bringing your culture into your reality or, um, you know, loneliness. I thought there'd be something more about just the uniqueness of being an international student. And there were none of those, none of those little insights. But mental health, mental hygiene, mental illness. It's a great conversation to get in with those around around your groups, because we can do better for sure on this topic.
1: Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Okay, well, thanks for bringing that to the wisdom of the pages. Perfect. So, all right, then what's left? Um, Let's have a discussion. Just a few words about what Be a Great Coach something that can help us be a great coach, something that can help us earn recognition and money. So I brought an idea for each of those. I can start us off. Yep. I have an idea for one of them. Okay. So (laughs) my idea uh, related to being a great coach. So tactical thing is a skill called bottom lining. Mm -hmm. Right. So when a client, they come up, you've done the work of what's your outcome. What is it that you really want in the situation? What matters most? That kind of thing, right? It's yes. all all good coaches are doing, making sure we're, we're not just having a conversation with friends. There's a time and a place for that, but a coaching session is not it. It's not to make a client feel good. It's to help them be a certain person, live a certain kind of life, produce a certain result. So we've done all that work. And then as the story is unfolding, the explanation, right, that Sometimes we're disserving our client by listening to that again. Sometimes. Yes. And then being able with skill and grace as best we can, being guided by our intuition and a spirit of service to our client. Bottom lining. Let me interrupt you there. Right. Let me ask you something. What's the real issue here for you? Yeah, that's right. getting to the heart of the thing. And again, recognizing that there can be a time and a place when you're actually serving someone by interrupting them and that there is such a skill called bottom lining. So bottom line is for me, what's the I real like issue that. here? I like that. What's, what's the real thing? challenge? Yeah. What's the real challenge. And then I, I do like, and I think this was Michael Bungay senior, mm. in, uh, the coaching habit talking yes. about for you, right? Because yes. there's only so much in this universe we can control if anything, but framing it in not just what's the real issue, but what's the real issue here for you? Yes. Right, So there's a lot in that, I think, but I'm going to leave it at that bottom lining. It's a skill. It often involves interrupting and then framing with a very specific question, something very much like, and maybe the exact words, what's the real issue here for you?
0: I like that very, very much. I think about my coach certification process. They had us uh, practice that. And depending on how you were raised, some of us are better at that. Some of us probably interrupt in normal conversations way too often. <laughs> and some of us are just way too polite in normal right. conversations. We let people just drone on and on and on. This is a coaching conversation, right? As you've been set up. So
1: I would encourage you, if you're a newer coach, practice this. Yeah. Practice it. Right. And, and by the way, one thing there that can help that, right? Which is another coaching skill of asking permission and like being that. able to do that either at the beginning of the conversation at the beginning of the coaching engagement, maybe right then, but do you mind if I pause you there, right? Like asking the client's permission to be able to do that. And then I'll just share that. This is something too, that came up for me in that book I mentioned at the beginning, Ralph de la Rosa about don't tell me to relax. He talks about the difference between being nice and being kind. And when we're nice when we're just saying what's expedient, when we're not honoring our inner voice like this, we might be being nice in an attempt to avoid hurting someone else's feelings or avoid being uncomfortable ourselves. But there's a difference between being nice and being kind and being nice often doesn't serve our client where we can be kind. We can ask these tough questions with compassion. Yes. Right. I think there's, there's something worth remembering in the difference between being nice and being kind,
0: man, that's money. They're brilliant. Nice
1: work. Well, that's Ralph, Ralph de la Rosa. Nice work, Ralph. Yes. Okay. okay. What, what um, was, was coaching the thing you had one about, or was it about recognition and money? This one, I think, is an umbrella over each of
0: them. Okay, cool. And, and so there were 74 of us in this room. Mm-hmm. I'm going back to the Nashville weekend that we were talking about. The, and, uh, the Marshall Goldsmith, 100 coaches. Okay. And he asked this question. When it comes to selling, do you think you oversell or do you think you undersell?
1: Those are the only two options. Yeah. It's a leading question, but that's okay. We'll go with
0: 75%, it. if not more, undersell said that undersell. Yeah. Why did you know the answer to that?
1: Well, I, again, I mean, a lot of it is coaches, people who are drawn to coaching don't typically see themselves as salespeople. Sales and marketing are often gaudy, you know, unpleasant realities for other people. And so that that doesn't surprise me at all.
0: Yeah. One of um, Lisa McLeod, who was in the MG 100, whose specialization is selling with a noble purpose, has done amazing things with large sales organizations. She's offered for for Marshall's group to do a workshop on this. But she said, if you're doing good things which I would imagine most of our, the coaches that are listening to this are, then you have a moral obligation to let people know what you are able to do. Mm-hmm. That got Marshall's attention. It got my attention. I didn't really think about that. I mean, yeah. when well, you heard about moral obligation not to have kids, right now, here's a moral obligation. S-
1: to sell your coaching.
0: To sell your coaching. If you're doing good things, then people need to know about it. So with that being said, oversell it. I mean, let that be your goal. My guess is you're not even going to get close to being the obnoxious person that you don't admire. Yeah. But you're way too far on the other side of the spectrum. If you want to be a better coach, if you want to have recognition, if you want to make more money, because those things are important, um, get out of that undersell category.
1: No, I think I think that's sound. And my view on this, at least part of my view on this, is that there's a whole shift in our orientation, right? That because if we think of marketing as an activity, like if we think of it as a to-do list item, then we never really get around to it. I mean, yeah, we might launch a new website or we might start an email campaign or something like that. But I think if we really embrace this idea that we have a gift to share with the world. And in fact, I just saw a cool thing online. That I found because of Ralph's book, he quotes uh, another thought leader in the area of social media, a guy named Aaron Rose, who Aaron had a post on his Instagram that says, why bother? Because right now there is someone out there with a wound in the exact shape of your words. Right. And whether that's true or not, I don't know whether that's empowering. It can be. If we choose to believe I have the medicine, I have the message that someone needs to hear for their healing or their growth. And then, and that we're not looking, we're not looking to share that because we're marketing it, but we're looking right. to connect, we're looking to serve. And I think making that orientation, that shift of saying, you know, when people say, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a coach. Right. And it's, well, what do you do? Well, I mean, I know one coach who will say, I help souls heal. I right? mm-hmm. that's a little poetic. It's okay. Well, how do you do that? And, you know, right. people ask and so forth. But I think that people, you know, when Marshall will say help successful people achieve lasting behavioral change. It's not right. like coach people, I coach executives. You can right. say that, right. but changing to what's the result you deliver and who do you do it for?
0: Yeah, I, well, I, I inspire insight and shift perspectives that have real meaning.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. And, and for the people that that's right for, they're like, tell me more, you yeah, know, or how exactly do you do right. that? Right. Or how does it work? <laughs> you know? Yes. So I think, I think that sound. Anything more on that and Lisa McLeod or any of these other? Well, you can
0: look up her book, The, the Noble Purpose. Um, it's really, really, really good. She's passionate about this topic. And particularly within the, the space of, of thought leaders and influencers. To be, a th- I mean, think about just the, the dichotomy of this, the, the idiocy of this. To be a thought leader, to be an influencer and to undersell, it just doesn't make any sense.
1: No, it it doesn't make sense. But one thing that does make sense to me perfectly is this idea that we all simultaneously want to be seen and recognized and appreciated, but we also fear exposing ourselves. So there's this natural tendency to want to be visible, but also to want to remain invisible.
0: Yeah. And I think that's those three words. So humility, courage, (laughs) and discipline. And when yeah. you apply those three, I think, they, I think they balance each other very, very nicely.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I did Google Lisa's book. Very good. And let's see, this, that's a condition. <laughs> Maybe it's a description of the book. Very good. Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud by Lisa Earl McLeod. M-C-L-E-O-D.
0: Yeah.
1: Cool. Really uh, good. The thing that I have for this to help you as a coach earn recognition and money is an idea. Oh my goodness. Uh, I don't have the book with me. I'm going to Google it if I can. Yeah. It's a book called book yourself solid uh, Mm. by someone named Michael Port. Some of the information in it now is a little dated, but I read this a few years ago and it had an idea that I have implemented and it has served me. It has helped me find clients has helped me to learn and grow and to enjoy life and hopefully serve some people. And the idea is this, and I forget the way Michael words this, but he says, basically always be inviting people to something. Now, as I say that out loud, I hear the network marketer and it's not, you know, network marketing, but as an example, right. right, A book club, a meditation group, a running circle, right. A discussion group, a cooking club, something where you're convening people you're at. So what that does is that adds value right? They're learning something. They're meeting other people, probably like-minded people. We could all use more friends and allies and collaborators, supporters. So that's one thing. And then two is it's a chance for you to demonstrate your, your authority and your leadership. That thing you might be inviting people to is a newsletter, you know, but having something. So when you talk to people, it's a chance for connection, it's right? Good. Because most people, especially for the services we offer, they're not, most people are not ready today. They're not ready the first time they meet you or hear of you. It's true. It's true. And they do want to like, and know, and trust you and to have something that you're inviting them to. It could be a podcast, you know, subscribe right. to my podcast, listen to this, but that idea of consciously having something and then inviting people to it, that's good, bro. You just
0: challenged me. I know that you have that and several different expressions of things that you do on Wednesday mornings and speaking and mindfulness. I don't have anything like that. You just challenged me to, to be more intentional with, I'm real quick to invite people to a meal. Well, that's something, um, you know, no, 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 no. and I like that very much, but I don't have yeah. something that's, that's more specific than that.
1: Well, you are working one week a month, Dean. So you're doing something that many of us wish we were doing already. <laughs>
0: These are very good meals that I invite people to. Eat. <laughs>
1: yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. But again, that's Michael Port, and his book, "Book Yourself Solid," I think it has a lot of great insight. In it, so like when you say it's dated, because like, he going to tell me to break out my BlackBerry. He might in the old. Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually on eBay. I just googled it and I found it on eBay. But I know he's got other books on Amazon. So, yeah, that was that was a little tidbit about earn recognition and money. Yeah, okay. good stuff. Well, Dean, that brings us to the conclusion of another edition of the Coach's Commonplace book. What was most valuable for you here in our time together today?
0: I like the fact that something like Esquire Magazine is posing the questions of wisdom for fathers. Mm-hmm. So even though not all of those resonated with me, I'm, I, to see that in that type of a publication, it's a great start. So that encourages me. Um, that's one. The second is, so remind me that you can be you can be nice oh yeah, not being nice versus being kind.: Yeah, that's really, really good. I want to look for more opportunities of where I'm doing that well and where I could do that better. And then the third thing is, I really do want to think about what I can be inviting people to, so whether that's the blog, whether that's a podcast that I don't have. Um, a newsletter. I mean, I really do need something like that. And I want to, hopefully by the time we do this next time, I'll have a better answer.
1: What about you? Yeah. And then we'll invite people to it. I would say what, um, you know, what was valuable for me here in our time was it was the interaction with you, Dean, just spending a little over an hour with you having a reason to give some structure and expression to thoughts that, you know, go through my head as I'm at home or in the yard or whatever. Um, I'm grateful for that. I do hope that this finds someone and serves them in some way, but even if it doesn't, (laughs) it had value for me.
0: That's exactly right.
1: And then in what you said earlier about your time in Nashville, that idea, we didn't explore it much when you talked about it, but it's really congruent with, with something else I'm learning, uh, from Eastern traditions about basically renouncing the fruits of your labor not like divorcing your actions from the results that they'll produce Mm. and just doing it because it's an expression of your highest self or because you want to, or, you know, something, I think there's actually a really deep lesson in that. And I was grateful to just to hear that again in what you shared today. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Okay. Well, just a reminder, I know people will have seen this on the, wherever they found this on Spotify or on, you know, Apple, uh, in the what are they? I don't know what they call it anymore. Apple Podcasts. <laughs> but Dean, if people want to learn more from you or they want to connect with you, where can they find you? Find you on LinkedIn.
0: LinkedIn for sure. That's where I'm probably the most active and most responsive, and I post nearly every day with amazing insights. Not so true. Dean, Dean Miles, <laughs> Dean Miles. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn by that, and then or we can go to our website, just Bridgepoint CSG for Coaching Strategy Group. So BridgepointCSG.com.
1: Awesome. And then people can find me at goodliving.com. You can email me at brilliant at goodliving.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll do this again in a month or so. Great. Thanks. Brilliant. Be well. Thank you, Dean.